0: This podcast is supported by the University of Tartu Astra Project Peraspera, financed by the European Regional Development Fund. Hi everyone, welcome to the Communicating Science Podcast. I'm Katarina and I will be today's host. For today's episode, I'll be talking to Anastasia Stapova, who is a research fellow at the University of Tartu Institute of Cultural Research. Welcome Anastasia. I'm very happy you were able to join us today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Uh, So today we wanted to discuss about some aspects of writing uh, from different angles and to see what were your experiences regarding uh, writing, your habits, publishing and basically other pitfalls in uh, in academia. So before continuing, I would like to ask you, could you introduce yourself
1: a bit to our audience? Absolutely. So my name is Anastasia Stapova. I'm a research fellow at the Department of Estonian and Comparative Folklore and um, I, um, I grew up in Belarus, but I was born in Uzbekistan, actually. And I, um, I got my education in Belarus. I was studying languages and literature. And then I moved to St. Petersburg to do my PhD there. I was working on uh, humor. And then in 2010, I first came to Estonia as a visiting student, as a visiting PhD student. And then I stayed here for another PhD which was about political folklore and nationalism in Belarus. And uh, in 2015, I defended my Estonian PhD in Tartu. And in two months, in February 2016, I defended my Russian PhD. So here I am. Uh, Thank you. And,
0: uh, well, as I understood, and as I basically was thinking, in the meantime, you you defended your PhD fairly recently. And with this, I would suppose, with younger researchers, it's always very common that it's quite fresh in your memory what kind of challenges you encountered, how you dealt with them, or maybe what kind of things would you do differently. So in this sense, would you share some of your experiences regarding particularly writing your thesis? And how did you manage through uh, various challenges that you basically stumbled on?
1: So my thesis, uh, well, I, I'll be talking more about my Estonian thesis, maybe. My thesis consisted of uh, research articles. So in a way, it was a bit easier because you sort of write bit by bit. You don't write the whole monograph. So you prepare the first article and you send it to the first journal. And I think that's why I was extremely lucky, because what I learned um, you know, during my first year... What, what we learn at the department, is this very simple wisdom. So there was this great folklorist, Alan Dundas, who worked in the University of Berkeley, and he always told his students, and that's what we learned also from our head of the department, who used to be his friend, um, so, late Alan Dundes always told to his students that you should never send your articles, even as beginner students, you should never send your articles to average journals, you should always send them to the best journals, don't send them to uh, conference proceedings and so on. I mean, it depends on the discipline, of course, like in linguistics, uh, this, uh, you know, conference proceedings thing mm. is very relevant. But basically, that's the wisdom. Don't try for the for the very basic journals. Target the best journals. And I was, um, you know, very <laughs> ambitious thinking about it now. And I sent my first uh, article in English to the journal called Names. It's a journal of onomastics. And I still wonder why they didn't, you know, they even accepted it because like <laughs> thinking back about it it was it was not so good. But the editor was extremely nice to me. So he went through the whole text and like like with a baby actually. She he explained very basic things to me. Things like, you know, paragraphs should be longer than two sentences and things like that. So eventually they accepted it and it got published. And that somehow gave me motivation and energy for further articles, and and then I continued this strategy. And then I think a lot of people try to to publish articles, but they don't think about this final thing of introduction, which also actually takes a lot of time, and maybe much much more challenging than the articles things. And another very important thing to keep in mind is to sort of. That you have to understand the system, that you have to understand how many articles you're supposed to have, where you're supposed to publish them, how many courses you have to complete, and so on. So sort of to possess this knowledge of how to do things, to complete uh, your dissertation and the whole study process on time. Uh, yeah, it's it can be challenging, but you only learn when going through it. Mm. It's it's very hard to learn from the outside.
0: Absolutely. And actually, you've opened up a couple of interesting questions with this, which we already somewhat touched upon. Uh, So a lot of my recent discussions have dealt with, you know, whether to choose monographs or a collection of articles, especially with first year PhD students uh, whom we work with through this course, Communicating Science. And I was wondering actually what informed your decision because I'm aware of the practicality of the collection of articles, but it's also very common that in the humanities and social sciences, the monograph is seen as something very valuable in this sense.
1: Yeah, it's very true. What informed my decision was probably the academic tradition. This is that at my department, we usually write articles. I know that, that's, that it is not relevant for several for certain other departments. If I'm not mistaken, for instance, in history, they tend to write monographs. And, and you cannot do much with it. You sort of follow the tradition. But to me, actually, the collection of articles is uh, better on several... On several reasons first of all when you finish your PhD studies you are sort of marketable because you already have some publications whereas if you concentrate on the monograph it's not it's not very likely that you will be able to produce so many articles also on the other hand it's very you know to be honest many more people will read your research if you publish articles if compared to dissertation, you know, the monograph, which can be two or 300 pages long. And for people, it's very difficult to follow. Also, another kind of thing people mistakenly think of, to my mind, is that when you have a monograph, it's much easier to publish it as actual book. But that's not true, because that's your dissertation, and it's extremely different from actual book. So lots and lots of uh, publishing houses actually invest a lot of money to informing young authors about the fact that dissertation and book and a book is not they are not the same thing. So that's also something to keep in mind. And I think also in the situation when we you know returning back to the, the very first comment, uh, being in the situation when we are in um, when we are sort of competing for jobs. Uh, at the end of our PhD, we have to be, um, uh, and we have to be marketable. Uh, for instance, compared to the US researchers or Canada- Canadian researchers who tend to concentrate on the mon on the monograph, at the end of our PhD studies, we have several publications and sometimes in good journals so compared to many other uh, competitors we actually our CV is better due to that that's why I think it's also that would be also my preference
0: when I look personally at the regulations for example if you decide uh, to write a monograph then if I'm not mistaken you need to uh, publish at least one article of course throughout your PhD at least at the University of Tartu uh, but then again, some colleagues, are, or I do think it's a minority, but some colleagues are opting for this combination of writing a monograph, but also publishing. So it is doable, but I guess it seems to be much more challenging. So what yeah. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? I mean, have any of your colleagues uh, done this?
1: Not that I know, not really. I think you can, uh, I would rather at least... Uh, keep my resources for something else. You can do many more valuable things like uh, go to different conferences and introduce yourself. You can do public outreach, sort of popularizing scholarship and so on. So there are many more things to concentrate on because if you do sort of try to do both a monograph and articles, that's like basically doing one and a half PhDs in the same time, more than one or maybe even two PhDs. That's comparable. So I think it's, you know, we only have twenty four hours in a day, and and it's very important to 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 take care of your time and to think of where you invest it and what you do with it.
0: And earlier, you mentioned uh, when you submitted your article to one of the first journals, mm-hmm. uh, names, right? Yes. Um, basically, your experience with the editor is also something that caught my my attention. And overall, what we were experiencing. I know it's quite tricky to sum this up, of course. But uh, did you have any particularly unpleasant experiences with the peer review process, or something very, very pleasant that you would uh, be willing to share?
1: I think I had both, <laughs> yeah. as any as any of us. Um, and it's, I think it's very important not to, especially in case of the negative experience. It's very important to not take it personally, because. It might be even that your article is actually not that bad. But it might be that you are sending it to the wrong journal, that you are sending it to the wrong editor, and so on. So, for instance, once I send my article to the history journal, uh, which concentrates on the former, it's called *Amber imperio and it concentrates on the former sort of uh, you know imperial states, but most of all Soviet, former Soviet countries, and the editor of the journal sent it back to me saying that it's so bad he's not go- even going to send it to the reviewers. He's not going to waste their time and his own time. And um, and then following the advice of the same Alan Dundas, who talked to his students about publications, I just sent it to the next journal without any corrections. And that was the journal called Nationalities Papers, which mm. was um, compared to the journal Ab Imperio, it had... Uh, citation index, which was, I think, three times higher. And they accepted it almost without any revisions. So it tells us about lots of subjectivity in publishing lots of, you know, lots of tricky things. So I think it's very important to be consistent in trying to get published, but but also to be to be picky about where you send your article to make sure that it suits the journal, and also maybe to to sort of get information from your colleagues about where you should publish. What is a good article? To get these personal experience stories about how people, because sometimes you can spend lots of resources to send an art to sending an article to a certain journal, which would. Um, you know which would not reply to your uh, application for like for a year you're going to lose your time and so on so it's very important to to ask around sort of I think and to make sure what are the good journals in your discipline and also I think it's important talking about good journals in the discipline it's also important to publish a bit outside of the discipline from two points of view because again uh, then you are more marketable than you know if compared to the situation when you only publish in this very narrow uh, disciplinary journals and uh, another thing is that you learn to talk to other disciplines. That's also very important to not just be uh, limited by your research tradition, but to be able to tell about what you do to many other people. And I
0: guess in the humanities in particular nowadays, this is obviously very common. There's more and more interdisciplinarity. And we tend to connect with our topic so much more. I mean, for me personally, it's very difficult precisely to sort of separate my topic from so many other different angles. But of course, then you need to limit yourself also to an extent not to be too dispersed, I guess. Um, But one thing that I would also like to ask you regarding publishing, as I know that you have a rich publishing record and it is quite impressive. I need to say, I was wondering, do you... Of course, this comes with experience, but do you have any particular strategy that has developed throughout, throughout time when you decide to write an article or more of them that you tend to follow? Like some particular daily habits or weekly, or mm. how do you push through this? And how long does it maybe take you to even write an article?
1: It really depends. So when I was a PhD student, I had this excellent habit of having two hours a day of writing only. And that worked perfectly for me. And you can you cannot imagine, or you can imagine probably how much you can done in just two hours. And I don't believe that people can write for eight hours that they can write you know something really good for eight hours a day. That's not the case. If you can concentrate, like two hours a day is a perfect fit. But now when I'm working as a researcher, it's not. It's getting more and more tricky, sort of getting. Um, carving out the time for writing is getting more and more difficult and especially two hours in a row being distracted by emails all the time and so on. So my strategy sort of changed uh, in a way that I that people invite me to write for certain journals or for certain collections of articles and I agree and my promises sort of keep me going and when I understand that I have the deadline that's the best um, that's the best motivation for me now. Uh, it depends how much time, how much time you need to, to write an article. It really depends. So, for example, right now I'm writing um, a chapter for the book, Handbook on Conspiracy Theories Research, and it's going to be about uh, the history of research on rumor and legend in social psychology and folklore. And as it is a kind of literature overview, and I'm more or less familiar with this literature, for me it's much easier. It's actually only I think after all it's going to take no more than one month. But that's of course um, more of an exception. If you need to do actual research, not just um, not just write this kind of overview, it can take. And also given that you probably have some other tasks nowadays, it takes at least two or three months for me and there are articles of course which last longer and it also very much depends because you feel like sometimes you feel like it's finished but then you also then you send it to the editor and they want to to change so many things so you again uh, put your effort into it and then it it's sent to the language editor and you by that time you forget about this article and now you have to review it. And maybe in two years or like it recently, as it recently happened to me, in three years, getting your article and looking at it and thinking, oh, no, I don't like it anymore. I want to rewrite it. So again, you invest your time into it. So it's really tricky. I think it's really difficult to count. It really depends. And some articles you sort of love more as a baby and you invest more time for it and to it. And you are like, you're more dedicated to it. But sometimes some articles are not not the same.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think in this sense, um, it's also quite a tricky balance to maintain. I was talking to a colleague the other day about his article. And he has been dwelling on it for months now. And then mm-hmm. he had this reaction, you know, oh my God, I can't even look at it anymore. I'm yes. sick of it, right? It, it looks, I think it's stupid and I have read it. Trust mm. me, it's not <laughs> stupid. It's a really good article. Yeah. But of course for him, after looking at it for so long, yeah. I guess it may be good to have some distance. Exactly,
1: right? well, some distance, but also something you're actually bringing up is to have a smart friend. I think it's extremely important to, because uh, I, I'm lucky to have this friend And still, even though we both have finished our PhDs, we still exchange our writings. Because it's extremely important to have this kind of fresh eyes on your article, and to have something smart to look through your article when you're desperate and you cannot see it anymore, and then somebody says, "Look, it's actually very good. You just finished to. F- you just need to finish this and that, and maybe emphasize that. And I really like these points, or so maybe you want to elaborate on that, and so on. So it's kind of it's very important to have not just your supervisor or not just your Your editor, for instance, looking at it, but also a good and uh, a smart friend, I think. Uh,
0: This is actually interesting that you mentioned, because it reminded me of something I wanted to ask you about this, but it seems that you do have this one person with whom you collaborate on this. Uh, Basically, we have the writing group meetings. Mm -hmm. I possibly told you already about this, but it's also one very useful aspect, first of all, to teach students uh, to actually provide feedback know, how to actually give feedback and justify it. And on the other hand, exactly to get this fresh pair of eyes yeah. for your work. And I think if this sort of becomes a habit, I think it sort of this demystifies also the writing process, which I think it can be very important in PhD. Everybody thinks, you know, this is a finished product, but doesn't see the struggle
1: behind yes. it. Right. Yes, so and course.
0: which can be very discouraging. So your colleague that you mentioned, uh, has this been going on for years, or um, yes, did you different. have the support during the PhD as well?
1: Yeah, I think mm. we we met maybe in 2012 or 2013, and since then we've been more or less consistent in exchanging the articles. And that's very sometimes it can get very tricky because of course you get the article written at night before the deadline, <laughs> and then it's a truly dedicated friend <laughs> who <laughs> who looks through your Definitely. article at night. <laughs> And give your her comments and so on, or his comments. Yeah, it can get... Um... But about the writing groups, I think it's also very important. When I was... Last year, I was um, on a postdoc in Uppsala University. And we had this uh, writing group also meeting regularly in Stockholm, in Stockholm Library. And uh, it was very useful also because we had this strict timing of writing for 45 minutes... Only writing, no checking emails, no checking Facebook, nothing. We were sort of um, watching each other, which is also very helpful. And this whole atmosphere of sitting together and writing, you you don't feel like uh, getting distracted for anything else. You sort of look at your colleagues, and I think that's very helpful.
0: Absolutely, and I think it's quite supportive also in a way, definitely. Yeah. Uh, basically, we well, you know already, of course, uh, because we have shared some writing retreats, Together, but we call those also writing pools. Mm. So a bunch of people just getting together and, you know, we have some dedicated time to write. And when you see somebody else also, you know, struggling and working, it, it feels much more engaging to do the same, I guess. But um, sort of if you could come up with maybe a couple of details uh, overall regarding the writing process, uh, your own writing process. Are there any kinds of tips uh, not only the one that you already mentioned, setting aside two hours per day, which I think is great advice, definitely, mm-hmm. to dedicate a particular amount of time daily, but maybe some other that would facilitate this development of writing habits for younger PhDs
1: in particular. I think it was in 2013 when I got my first... Uh, now I'm going to do some advertisement. When I got my first uh, Samsung tablet with S-Pen, and the <laughs> trick is that you basically when you read something, you can make you can cut out the citations from what you read because you have this really convenient pen. And you can at the same time, you can make notes. so you, you sort of can do hand, actual handwriting on this tablet. And that's very useful for me because when I start sort of thinking about an article, when you're, when I already have certain materials for it, I start reading towards that article. or Sometimes I read completely different stuff, but it sort of makes me think more and more about that particular research. And then I make lots and lots of notes and usually I have about, um, you know, by the time I actually sit and write my article, I have about 50 pages of notes and quotations uh, uh, cut from different sources, from different books and so on. And and when I look through it, I sort of have already the structure of the article in my mind. I think it's very helpful because you always, when thinking about your article, you always get these bits and pieces from everywhere. But it's very important to document them because you tend to forget many things. So it's very important to have some notebook or or some, you know, just some device where you would always where you would always document what you you think about this article. And then little by little structure comes out with your materials and sort of conclusions and so on. And of course it's very important to try what you have written, at least the idea, you know, at some conference to see how people react to it, and, and so that people give more ideas to it and so on. And then basically you polish and polish and polish it forever. (laughs) <laughs> That's another <laughs> trick. You polish the structure. You polish the language. I use a lot of um, Mendeley is extremely helpful mm-hmm. for me. Citation tool. Once I I was so reluctant to write one article that I basically dedicated three days to filling to to sort of putting all my um, article all the articles and all the books I have into this citation tool. But after that, my life became just perfect. I've, I'm saving so much of time on that. And what I produce, actually, it's very, very useful for the editor because it's uh, the bibliography is always consistent. So there are these small, you know, technical tools, I think, which are very helpful.
0: Yeah, and I think those reference management systems actually save our lives very often. Yeah. I, I was also, I was sort of reluctant, not regarding the writing of the article, but to start off with the mm. reference management systems. But then when I actually started more intensely with Zotero, actually, I was mm. like, oh, God, why didn't I start with yeah. this earlier? <laughs> so actually, absolutely, it's very, very helpful. very. Uh, and so basically coming sli- slowly towards the end of our talk, I was wondering, when you look back towards your PhD... Uh, are there certain things, and I'm pretty sure, of course, that there always are, because now we know better. But is there something you would have done differently regarding any aspect? It doesn't have to be only related to writing. Some habits, some.
1: I think my Estonian PhD was extremely, extremely good. So it's very hard to to find certain a certain aspect of it which is which I would like to change. But maybe one thing also thinking strategically sort of now, I would do differently is that I would have had um, a reviewer of my dissertation who is also a part of certain publishing house or a part of certain book series uh, editing for certain publishing house because I can see that those people who have done it were able to publish their book after the -hmm. defense very easily because there is this uh, person who actually deals with similar topic and who is responsible for certain publications. And he or she actually can give advice about the further development of the monograph, and he or she can actually be helpful with, uh, with you know, reviewing your monograph and with uh, thinking about what to do with it further. So I think that would have, that would have made my life after PhD much easier.
0: Thank you. That's yeah. actually very interesting. I haven't thought of that. I guess, yeah, there is a bunch of these small issues, especially when you go get closer towards your defense that you don't even take into account. Yes, uh, which, yeah. Uh, and finally, we usually ask everybody this mm-hmm. um, on, of course, again, a wider scale. So, for example, if you were now just entering a PhD program, you know, so what would be certain tips that you would give to, you know, a first year PhD student? In the humanities here, regardless of uh, of the topic, you know, how to cope or you know what what to do
1: with all of this? Well, I think it's we are not born with the ability to write well and with the ability to cope with that. So I feel like we have to learn that. That's not natural at all. So one thing would be to read lots of research on your topic and sort of note, Things which you like and understand why certain articles are good, try to understand at least. Process it. Why certain articles are successful and, and other articles are not that successful, or monographs and so on. To read a lot about academic writing, because again, it's not natural, it's not given, especially if you don't write, if you write in English and if it's not your native language, mm-hmm. you have to really, really learn it. Uh, there are many many tricky things like uh, punctuation would certainly differ from your native languages and so so many small things really also as i said i would target when you think you have learned this stuff (laughs) 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 i as i said i would target uh good journals only and even if you are kicked out that's normal Mm that's That's a process of uh, learning. There's nothing wrong about it. Editors themselves once uh, started this whole thing, you know, they've never been, they haven't been born with the ability to do that again. So I think to sort of little by little push that and also think about writing because when I'm extremely, extremely tired of writing, I always understand that not there is nobody who is going to do that instead of me. It's not. It's not. It's not just going to disappear. You have to face it. You have to deal with it. And you better. You better learn how to deal with it professionally, and you better be consistent. You know, like having two hours a day, or like having um, having deadlines or whatever else. So find out some routine for yourself about how to face it and then maybe you know as all these popular books say uh, habits form after some time Mm -hmm. and then maybe Mm -hmm. it just comes natural to you you just wake up have your cup of coffee and you rush to writing because (laughs) (laughs) it's an everyday routine (laughs) true
0: um and is there anything else you would like to add that we didn't uh, address here i think no then thank you very much for being our guest. It was lovely to talk to you. And actually, I'm pretty sure that our colleagues will be very happy to hear some of this advice that you have. So thank you again, Anastasia. And I hope hope that you will be our guest at some point again as well.
1: Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure to check out our Facebook and university webpage. We want to hear your questions and feedback, so message us on Facebook and we'll be answering you on a later podcast. Bye-bye for now.